0: Thank you for tuning in to AnchorCast. Please remember to subscribe and follow us on social media at Anchor Nights to get the latest updates about events, meetings, and uploads. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We're talking here about humble beginnings. Well, first of all, I just want to let you guys know, hey, if I haven't met you before, my name's Keith. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, and man, I... And this is actually why I love coming over here. Like whenever Maddie or whenever uh, Jake asked me to come, I should say Pastor Jake now, but uh, whenever Maddie or Pastor Jake uh, come by and then they ask me to come over and talk here, I always love it because like, honestly, it's that stuff right there. You guys are so encouraging. I mean, like after we talk, I get so many people that come up and just, I mean, and here's the thing, uh, like I'll be over here any way that I can, whether it's talking or sometimes putting on a dad costume and and barbecuing for you guys or whatever. And here's the thing, just because of that encouragement, because we need that, um, and this isn't like a poor me thing, but a lot of times as pastors, you don't get a lot of encouragement, right? People are very prone to say the things that everybody's doing wrong, uh, but you guys like have, I don't know, I've been really humbled, I've been encouraged because it seems like you guys are kind of the opposite. And here's the thing, I'm not kissing up to you guys, and sometimes like when you're a pastor, you have to do that at the beginning of a message, right? Where you just start out and you have to kiss, everybody, kiss up to everybody, and uh, because... Uh, Because you're about to say something that's challenging, and this isn't one of those messages. Like, I actually feel that way, that, like, I'm so encouraged by you guys. Um, So I'm going to do something. I already kind of got us off track with the Disney Plus thing, but I want to do something else that might get us off track, and this is probably against my better judgment. Uh, But I got to know, I got to ask, I want to get everybody's opinion. What do you think about the Kanye thing? What do you guys think? Okay, so how many people are like, hey, this is legit, he's converted, this is amazing? All right, all right. How many people are straight up like, nope, don't buy it? Okay, only a couple haters, only a couple haters in the room, right? So I'm not gonna lie, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm not sure, right? Because like, I saw the Kimmel interview, I don't know if you guys watched the Kimmel interview, and like, he did really well, Except for when he kind of went off on that dude about wearing a jacket, you know. Um, And then about a week later, I don't know if any of you read this interview, right? But he did this interview where he said he wanted to legally change his name to Christian Genius Millionaire. Right? And like, the sad thing about Kanye is like, we can't be sure whether or not he's joking. Right? Like, he could have been joking or he could have been serious. Right? But here's the thing. Like, I'm with some of you in here that were cheering because I want to believe it. I do. I want to believe it because I love it. When people that have that kind of influence and in culture, when, when God reaches them and they use that influence and they reach out to other people. And, uh, and the reality is like with Kanye, I'm just going to land on like, I think time's going to tell, right? The Bible's pretty clear that we'll know people by their fruit, that we'll know what God has done in their lives from that. So I'm just waiting to kind of see it. But, but man, I'm optimistic. And I'll tell you why I'm optimistic. Because see, I think that God has a long history of picking people that you and I wouldn't pick, Right? Because, like, honestly, if you were picking, like, people to tap in for the kingdom, would it really be Yeezy, right? Would it really be, like, you look at his wife, you look at the stuff that she's done. Would that be the person that you tapped in? But, see, God, I think he looks at things differently than we do. He's got a long history of it, right? And, I mean, just, just before we get to humble beginnings with David, you've got a couple guys in there, right? You've got Noah, who's a drunk, right? You've got Moses, who was adopted and a murderer, right? You've got Abraham, who's, like, really old, just super old, right? And none of these guys would have been society's first choice to be like a prophet of God, to be a leader. And so Maddie, last week, she was talking about this, and she talked about it with with King David, right? King David was not really what society's first choice would be for king. I mean, he's literally not the first choice for king, right? The first choice for king was a guy named Saul. And, uh, And when you read about the stuff with Saul, man, Saul was Like the Bible talks about him being a full head and shoulders taller than anybody. He was handsome. He was the firstborn, right? He was everything that you would think of when you think of a leader, when you think of somebody that you would want to be the front of your country, right? But not so with David. See, David was young. He was not as tall as Saul. He was the youngest and he was a shepherd, I know some of you might hear, like, the shepherd thing, and you think, like, it'd be cool to to work in agriculture. Maybe some of you do some FFA kind of stuff there. Uh, But if you're an FFA, you know what I'm going to say right now, which is being a shepherd is not glorious, right? Like, I don't know if any of you have spent a bunch of time around sheep. Some of you may have. Uh, But if you haven't, dude, I got to tell you right now, sheep are terrible. Sheep are the worst, right? Sheep are not Smart. They're not intelligent at all. Sheep will get out and they'll go and they'll eat stuff that they're not supposed to eat, which will make them sick. Dude, one of the craziest things that I learned about sheep, right? And I didn't just learn this for the sermon, I learned a long time ago, is that sheep will wander away from the flock, right? But they're a they're a pack animal, they're a flock animal, so they will die from stress from not being with the flock that they wandered away from, right? That's what sheep will do. They're they're pretty much defenseless to predators, right? They don't have a lot of things they could do there. And and like I'm going to be real, sheep smell terrible, right? So, and, and being a shepherd, it's not like you're punching a clock, right? You don't get any time off, you're out there in the sun, you're out there in the rain, you have to like sleep in the same area the animals are. And so we kind of see this when Samuel first sees David, the Bible tells us that he's ruddy, right, that he's red. So even though he's young, he's just been outside his whole life in the sun and the weather with these big, dumb, and smelly sheep, right? Right? I know some of you put this together right away, right? You went, this guy spent his whole life being around big, dumb, smelly things. He's ready for politics, right? Uh, but that wasn't what everybody thought the king should look like, right? A shepherd. Everybody thought the king should be this big, handsome, warrior guy uh, like Saul was when David was anointed. But if you've read through like 1 Samuel on there, about 13 or so, you read about Saul's issues that he was brash, he was impatient. He had a history of just these violent and unpredictable outbursts, and uh, this is actually why he lost God's favor and why a new king was needed. And this temper and this impatience is why David actually, when you read about this, Samuel decided to anoint David in private because he knew that if Saul knew that he was anointing a new king, that Saul would probably kill both Samuel and David. And so here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing about David's life after this point of anointment is like after he meets with a prophet of God and after he's anointed and he's told, hey, you're going to be the next king of Israel, he does something super unexpected, right? He, he goes back to the sheep. Right? I just want to put this in perspective, like, we're in presidential primaries right now, right, and we're not going to get political because we ain't got time for that, right? But next year, somebody's going to run against presumably President Trump, and somebody's going to win, right? Let's assume somebody new wins, right? And let's just imagine that person wins the election, the news comes back, and the first thing that person does is they go like, I'm going to go back to my shift at Burger King, right? I'm just going to wait because it's not time for me to be president yet, I'm going to wait a couple months, Right? But you all know what's going to happen the minute that person's elected, right? They're going to start doing stuff. They're going to start scheming. Uh, They're going to start picking their cabinet, undermining their opponents, Uh, just getting crazy. But this isn't what David does, right? See, instead of David getting anointed and running right to taking a throne for himself, what David does is he sees God working on things. And he's patient for his time. and, And what that means is in the meantime... David's got to go back to those big, dumb, and smelly sheep. And so the big lesson, the takeaway here from this particular part of the story is that I think that sometimes when God gives us a revelation, when he shows us, either through speaking to our heart or or in our heart's desire and things we see around us, that we're meant to do something, that we're meant to be something, that we're meant to go somewhere, I think we have this knee-jerk reaction to just run after it as fast as we can. And I think sometimes what happens is God still needs to move things. God still needs to open some doors. And when we rely on ourselves and when we try to force things, it just doesn't work out. See, getting impatient at what was supposed to happen, not happening quickly enough, is why Saul lost his favor. And so we've got some slides here that I'm just going to talk to quick, quickly in 1 Samuel 13. What's going on here is, is Saul is in an army encampment and the The Israelites behind him they've started to freak out. They're starting to go run and hide in the caves because things are not looking good. And so what he does is he waits. He was supposed to meet the prophet Samuel after seven days. And after seven days, Samuel's not there. So what Saul does is he takes things into his own hands. And he goes ahead and he makes a burnt offering for unity. And now this is a big deal. It's a big deal in this one because Saul is a king, but he's not a priest. Right? So only the priest can make the offering and so what happens is when Samuel shows up, Samuel's like, dude, what have you done? Like, you know, I was one day late, and this is what you went and you did. And so I think sometimes we all do the same thing, right? Like we're walking towards something that we think we're supposed to do. And sometimes when things get hard, when there's delays, that we have this tendency to want to take things into our own hands. And, uh, and David, like, he didn't do that with being king, right? He was content to just wait. To wait for God's time. And so after uh, after he's anointed, he ends up splitting his time. We read about this and we're in like 1 Samuel 17 now. Um, we read about David kind of has two jobs that he does. So most of the time he's out in the field with the sheep, but then he's got another hired. He's actually hired by the courts. And, uh, and so he ends up the court, like the court of, of King Saul. Uh, king Saul has these terrible bouts of anger, and David playing the harp is the only one who can get him to calm down. So he's anointed to be the next king, but he's spending most of the time out with the sheep and the rest of the time playing the harp for a really mad dude that he's supposed to take over for, right? And, and we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, next week on the, uh, on the time there and the tension kind of between him and Saul. Uh, but that's your first fill-in right there is that David trusted God's timing, see at the time that David was anointed, Israel was at war with a group of people called the Philistines, right? And David's three older brothers, he was the youngest in his family, they were in an army that was camped on one side of a mountain. And there's a valley in between and on the other side of the mountain is where the Philistines were. And uh, and David's dad sends him with bread and cheese uh, for him to take to his brothers and also to like their bosses. Sounds a little bit like a bribe, but that's all right. Right? And so David runs into this big fella that you've all probably heard about before. This big fella's named Goliath. And what Goliath is doing is he walks around and he's just mocking the Israelite army. So there was a practice back in the ancient Near East where when you had big battles like this where big armies were going to fight, sometimes if they didn't want to risk the massive casualties on both sides, each side would choose a champion. They would choose somebody to go down and they have a one-on-one fight duking it out trying to figure out who was going to win. And so that's basically what Goliath was doing, is he was just walking up and down the line, calling out all of the Israelites, and he was doing this twice a day for 40 days, right? Morning and evening, just out there, out there talking smack again, right? And Saul, Saul was a big dude, right? We talked about he's head and shoulders bigger than everybody else, but you all know this, Goliath's a bigger dude. Goliath was like a giant. I mean, he was so big that when you convert all this stuff in the Bible, convert the units over, we know his armor weighed more than 120 pounds. We know that he had a spear that was the size of a weaver's beam. I have no idea what that is, but that sounds really big, right? And, and he had a shield bearer, right, which was a guy who would, fully armored, would walk in front of him with a big shield just trying to protect him. Like, this is the modern-day equivalent of there being a tank out there on the battlefield. And Saul looked at that, and Saul was like, I don't want any of that. And I think all the other Israelites, as we read in here, just kind of looked and nobody, nobody wanted any of that. And so what happens is David is walking and he hears this challenge, right? He hears the Philistine calling everybody else and he's just outraged. David's like, who's this dude? Like, he's going to call out the army of God and he's going to stand in the way of God's plan? And I think what happens here, if you read between the, the lines here, I think that David maybe said this a little too loud, because Saul's guys heard, and they went and they took it back to Saul. And I think that kind of went like this. This is not in the text, but I think it was like, dude, that shepherd boy, dude, he's talking, he's talking smack about everybody going on here. And so Saul ends up calling for David to come over. And what David says to him is, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So in other words, like, just to translate, David's like, look, I know everybody's scared, but I got this. I'm going to head out there. And, uh, and the crazy thing is, like, Saul's like, no, no, he tells David he's too young, and he explains something to him, he says, look, this dude, Goliath, has been a warrior his whole life, David, you do not stand a chance, you are a young man, it's just not going to happen, and David's response is like, look, I take care of sheep, right? It's like, I take care of sheep, I fought off lions and bears, like it won't be a problem to kill a giant. And for some reason, this is another weird part of the story, I don't understand, it had to be God moving. Saul agrees, Saul's like, yeah, okay, that sounds great, you killed a lion before, go, go fight. And, uh, and he gives his armor to David. And so this armor at the time, it's, it would be made of bronze, right? It would be super heavy. And when David puts it on, when he's equipped with this, with this armor, with this sword strapped across him, he can't really walk around in it because he's not used to it. It's too heavy. It probably weighed almost 100 pounds. And David, who's not a professional warrior, right? He's a a shepherd. He doesn't have his own armor. He's not used to wearing armor. He doesn't have any of the requirements or any of the training that a warrior should have. He's utterly unqualified. See, a professional soldier would have spent years training. There's steps along the path for what David's trying to do now, and David hasn't taken any of those steps, so he's not able to do it. But see, what's crazy about David is David decides to trust God. And David says, I got this staff, and I got this shepherd's bag, and I'm just going to start walking towards the field. And I got to tell you, this is why I like David. Uh, see, I'm a, I'm a pastor now here, uh, but I didn't take the traditional steps to become a pastor, right? I didn't go to seminary. I, d- I didn't get a degree from a Bible college. I didn't even grow up in church. Some of you know this because I think I talked about it last time, but uh, the first time I went to a Christian youth camp, I was 38 years old, right? So I was a little bit late to the game and all this stuff. And actually, I worked in a great secular career. I was making good money when God called me. And God put a calling in my life. And you know what? I'm going to be real. It's a calling for which I was entirely unqualified. See, like David, I didn't have any training. I wasn't what a soldier in God's army looked like. But like David as well, I heard and I knew that was a call and I followed it. See, because here's the truth. God doesn't always call the qualified. Sometimes he qualifies the called. And I think that's your second feeling here is that David was actually called before he was qualified. And so I want to talk about what that looks like, like what happens when we're obedient despite what society says about the qualifications that you or I need to serve. And I just want you to to imagine this, just imagine what it looked like for David, So, for me, in my head, I see this happening. I see that David has just taken off this armor that doesn't fit, this heavy armor that's holding him down. And this young Hebrew dude, he just starts walking towards the battle lines. And the Bible tells us that along the way, he stops by a small brook along the way and he grabs a couple stones and he puts them into his bag. You know, he's probably wearing sandals. And I think those sandals are just kind of scuffing along the rocks. There's a cloud of dust going behind. If you look at what this particular valley they're fighting looks over, it's basically a desert. And so his robes would kind of be getting caught on the brush around him as he headed down there. And I think he just walks past the front lines of the Israelite army and I can't imagine what those dudes are thinking they're like who's this dude who's this shepherd dude like is he lost because he's just walking towards the front lines and the only thing he's got is he's got a staff and he's got a shepherd's bag around his waist and so as he gets close to that behemoth that big old dude Goliath and Goliath you gotta imagine he's wearing this armor that's probably well maintained but it's probably got a bunch of dents right because Goliath is a grizzled warrior he's a mountain of a man He's probably at least twice the size of David. And remember, in front of Goliath, there's another guy, right? There's another seasoned warrior who's probably fought just as much as Goliath has. And that poor dude has this just massive shield because it had to be a big shield in order to protect, to protect Goliath. And Goliath sees this shepherd walking over to him, and he's just mad, right? Just a shepherd's coming over and challenging him with only a staff. And he yelled, "Am I a dog, that you come to me with sticks, See, being a dog or or a dog in this period was a cursed animal. was not a great animal. So he's like, hey, who am I that you came at me with a stick there? And, And David, David didn't have any armor, right? He didn't have a spear. He had no sword. He had no shield bear. But see, David had something else. And we hear about that when he responds to the giant. See, he calls out the giant. He says, you come to me with a sword with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And on this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And so what I see when I think about this, right, is this had to, like, David had to be far away when he was yelling that. Because if you read this, I think David gets, like, basically into the part where it's this day the Lord will deliver you. And when Goliath's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, right? So the Philistine gets up, and he walks towards David. And when we read in the Bible, David sprints at him, right? His robes are allowing him to move so much quicker, and Goliath and all of that armor. And I think as David ran, he reaches a calloused hand into his shepherd's pouch and he pulls out this piece of river rock, this smooth rock that he found, and he fits it into his sling. And I think that as David swung the sling over his head, as he had done thousands of times defending his flock from predators, his arm just moved freely, right? Because he wasn't encumbered by that big old breastplate. And his vision, it wasn't blocked, By wearing a helmet like Goliath's, and David's rock hit its mark. There was a tiny opening in the helmet of Goliath, and it embedded right in his forehead. See, David's shot hit with precision, just like it had done so many times before when he was fighting lions or bears that threatened his sheep. And so when the mighty man Goliath, when he toppled and he fell, it gets pretty brutal here, right? He falls down face first into the ground, and David's a savage, takes Goliath's own sword, kills him and cuts off his head. And then we read that the entire Philistine army is like, we're out, they're bailing, and and the armies of Israel and Judah are just shouting, and they're cheering, right? So you all know this story. This isn't anything new to any of you, right? We know that David wins. But why did David win? It's because he relied on God. See, David trusted God's will for Israel and God's will for deliverance, even though he wasn't qualified to stand up to Goliath. David trusted God's plan. And so when we think about this, I just, I thought about this when I was reading through and going through here and I thought, like, what if David had done something differently? Like, what if this story had been a little bit different? Like, like, what if David left that armor on? What if when he put on Saul's armor that didn't fit right, he just left it on and he headed to battle? Uh, I don't think it takes any stretch of the imagination to see that David would have been obliterated right? David can't swing a sling when he's wearing this armor. That armor's about 100 pounds, and Goliath's twice his height, right? If you know anything about fighting, there's a thing called reach, which says that Goliath would have David dead before David could get anywhere close to being able to hurt him, right? And mobility on armor at this time is bad. Like, Gaius could hardly swing a sword. There's no way David sneaks that past the shield bearer and takes this guy out. See, what's interesting is that no armored soldier of Israel would stand a chance against Goliath, let alone little old David, right? The young kid who's not even a warrior. See, anyone who had those traditional qualifications for that calling, they'd have lost. It took someone with experiences outside of the norm to kill that giant. See, at this point, David's not a warrior. David becomes a warrior later, but at this point, he's not a warrior, he's a shepherd. And so when it came time to do God's will on the battlefield, David didn't fight like a warrior. David fought like a shepherd. He used a shepherd's tactics. He used a shepherd's tools. He was something completely untreated. See, it was not the way that things were supposed to be, but it was exactly how God wanted it. See, instead of doing things the right way, David leveraged his gifting and his experiences. And that's my takeaway. That's that's the challenge today that we're going to get to is I think in this room right now that God is calling you to do something. And I want you to not disqualify yourself based on the things or experiences that other people say you need to serve God. See, during the fight of David and Goliath, I don't know if you missed this, but there were thousands of qualified cookie cutter soldiers hanging out in that Israelite army. And here's the question. How many of them stood up? Here's the question. How many of their names do you know? See, like David, God provides us with experiences and with gifting that's unique. And our job is to leverage those things. And I know I made a comment earlier. I want you to know, please, because my boss has gone there. I'm not hating on seminary. And I'm not telling any of you here that you need to drop out of school and to jump into whatever dream God God has given you. See, education, seminary, and and the right way to do things, those are all fantastic. And I think if you have the opportunity to do those things, you need to pursue it. But what I'm trying to say here is to never let a preconceived notion about qualifications you need to do something, don't let that stop you from what God wants you to do. See, God can use non-traditional ways to do work right? There's different talents and experiences in life and those are going to reach people, different people to grow his kingdom. You need to leverage what you've been through and here's what that looks like for me, right? I don't speak Hebrew or Greek but when somebody says, I need help, I can't stop drinking and it's wrecking my family. You know what I can do? I can say, hey, I've been there. I've been there and I know the way out. Let's walk through this together. When somebody comes up to me and somebody says, man, I'm just so dark, I'm so depressed, I can't even get up in the morning, and I just want it all to end, I can leverage my own experiences with mental health struggles, and I can come alongside them, and you can do the same thing too. See, we all have different experiences, we have different talents, we have different passions, and God wants us to use every one of them. And so for some of us in that room, this development, this qualification, this plan is going to look very traditional. But for some of us, it's really not. And that's okay. Because like I said, God created us differently to reach different people. And when we do this, sometimes what happens when we do this is that the most unlikely of people end up killing a giant. And so I just want to close with some prayer before we get to small group time. So would you give me? God, we just want to... We just want to pause, God, and say thank you. Thank you today for the reminder that you created each and every one of us uniquely, that we were knit together in our mother's womb with different gifts and different weaknesses, God, that we were all woven together in community here with that common goal of serving you. Lord, I'm I'm thankful. I'm thankful for everybody in this room and for the opportunities that you've given each and every one of us. See, God, there's some of us that you're equipping for the works of ministry through non-traditional ways, and we're happy for that. But we're also happy for those of us that you're equipping through non-traditional ways. And I want to ask God that for each and every person in this room, that if you haven't done so, that you reveal your purpose for them tonight. And uh, and to show the way that each and every one of us in this room, God, because I believe that we can, that we can leverage the things that you've brought us through and the things you've gifted us with so that we can bring glory and honor to your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask all these things. Amen.